Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This Sunday, the fifth Sunday in Lent, the first Sunday of Passiontide is also known as the Sunday of the Passion. And as it begins, Passiontide, the first two weeks before Easter, the service becomes more and more sparse, with the Gloria Patri, the glory be to the Father, omitted as well as the Gloria in Excelsis. Our epistle this Sunday of the Passion comes from Hebrews chapter 9, where it says Christ came as high priest. It is entirely appropriate, then, that we consider how our Lord's high priestly work differed from that of the high priest of the Old Covenant, especially with the Day of Atonement in view. For what else is the passion of our Lord other than our Day of Atonement? Our epistle makes this connection clear for us while it makes a number of comparisons which we will see as we lift the veil that lies over the Old Testament to see how Christ, our Lord, has fulfilled it. First, we see how our Lord is a better high priest than those high priests of the Old Covenant. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Right away we see that the author of the epistle has the Day of Atonement in mind, for that was the only day when the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place. The tabernacle, and later the temple, was in the midst of the people and represented the presence of God to his people. The most holy place, which held the Ark of the Covenant behind a veil, was found in the innermost part. This, specifically, was where God promised to be for his people in mercy. The Ark and its top, known as the Mercy Seat, was seen as the throne of God on earth. Not that he needed one, but that was where he promised to be for his people to act in mercy. The Day of Atonement was to atone for all the sins of the uncleanness of all the nation of Israel. For God is clean and holy, and the people by their sins, as we are too, are not. And so atonement had to be made yearly for them. On that day, the high priest would first sacrifice a young bull calf for his own sins. He would then take that blood of the calf into the most holy place, sprinkling it first upon the veil, then opening the veil upon the mercy seat seven times to make expiation for his own sins. 
Then he would take a goat for a sin offering for all of the nation, sacrifice it, and likewise bring its blood into the most holy place, and sprinkle that also upon the top of the mercy seat to make atonement for them. This was all done according to the command and promise of God that this, by, by this he would forgive their sins and keep them in covenant with him. Yet even though the tabernacle was made by Moses and Israel, according to the command and the plan of God, it was still made by sinful men. God's special presence was there as a condescension to them. It could not contain him, and whenever the people thought that they could try to use his promise regarding this and the future temple in order to manipulate him, he withdrew himself. For example, when the people went to go to battle against the Philistines, but God did not give them the promise that he would be with them, and in fact told them not to go to battle, they decided to take the Ark of the Covenant with them anyway. And there was a astounding loss, and they even lost the Ark for a time. Moreover, the tabernacle itself needed to be cleansed on the Day of Atonement, just like the people did. For the tabernacle needed to be cleansed from the people's uncleanness who surrounded it. With this in mind, we see how much of a greater high priest our Lord Jesus is. For Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, not of this creation. Yes, the tabernacle and most holy place which our Lord entered into, making atonement for us, was not made by man, nor is it even of creation at all, but it is the true presence of God, which the tabernacle and temple were merely representations of. This tabernacle needs no cleansing, for it is God's own presence. As our high priest, our Lord Jesus, at his ascension, after making atonement for us upon the cross, entered the most holy place once for all, not by means of the blood of goats and bulls, but by his own blood. He entered into God's presence as our representative, having obtained for us an eternal redemption. And just as the tabernacle of Christ our high priest is far better, so too is the extent of his atonement. In the Old Covenant, the high priest needed to make atonement each year. In Leviticus, it says, In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls, that is, fast, and you shall do no work at all, whether a native of your country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. This was itself truly a far-reaching and great gift of God to his people, that he would institute this so that his people might be clean from their sins. Yet it had to be repeated year after year. Over the course of one high priest's tenure, how many bulls and how many goats were slain for his own and for the people's sin. Our Lord Jesus, our great high priest, offered one sacrifice to atone for sins. His was a perfect atonement, where he offered himself without spot or blemish to God. In this he obtained an eternal redemption, a redemption that was not only effective for those alive when he died, like the sacrifices of the Old Covenant, 
nor was it only effective from his death onward into the future, but it was effective also into the past all the way back to Adam. Yes, all the sacrifices of the patriarchs and of the priests under the Mosaic Covenant have their efficacy only because of our Lord's atonement. Our epistle speaks of this this morning, saying he entered into the most holy place once for all. In the Old Covenant, the high priest could not enter for once for his own lifetime, but needed to once a year. But our Lord Jesus Christ entered in once for all. For the atonement which he made is eternally perfect. It, it cannot be repeated, and nor can it be added to. So great is his atonement that was made for all of Adam and Eve's children for all time. How could this atonement be so great? Because our high priest offered a far more perfect sacrifice with far better and far nobler blood, which in turn effects a far better cleansing. Blood was an important part of the atonement sacrifices of the Old Testament. This cannot be overstated. This is why the people could not eat any meat with blood in it, but had to fully drain the blood from their food. Each sacrifice required the spilling of blood. The Lord said to Moses, the life is in the flesh in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Thus the sacrifice required was not just killing, but the spilling of blood, so that the life flowed out from the sacrifice. Such blood needed to be spilled in the place that God had commanded and done with the intention to expiate sins, so that, for example, the hunter that killed wild game and then immediately drained its blood into the field was not making atonement. But the priest who did so in the temple and upon the altar did. In the Old Covenant, the blood of certain clean animals was used for this purpose, goats, sheep, bulls, and the like. These were all lower creatures used as substitutes. For by our sins we have merited death, but the Lord in his mercy during the Old Covenant had given his people the sacrificial system so that they may have sacrifices in place of themselves. He gave this to them with the promise that their sins would be forgiven. Yet the animals themselves were ignorant of this fact, and as has been said, the high priest himself needed to offer sacrifices for his own sins. The blood spilled for the atonement made by our high priest Jesus, however, was his own holy and precious blood. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. His blood is worth more than all animals, and it is only in light of this shedding of blood that the sacrifices of animals could take away sins in the Old Testament. He willingly gave up his life and shed his blood for us. He went to the cross knowing that he was both high priest and sacrificial victim. He went with the intention to expiate our sins. He himself was without spot or blemish, holy, pure, and without sin. Thus he gave himself up to death and shed his innocent blood upon the earth to redeem us with an eternal redemption. 
all this wholly for others, to cleanse them and make them whole, to cleanse you and make you whole, so that all who repent of their sins and trust in him because of what he has done receive the benefit of that sacrifice, no matter how imperfect they are or even how imperfect their repentance, the forgiveness of sins they receive, life and salvation and righteousness before God because his blood is much greater and nobler than that of animals. How much more shall it cleanse us, dear brothers and sisters? If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sacrifice sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your consciences from dead works to serve the living God. The sacrifices and rituals of the Old Covenant truly did cleanse, sanctify, and ritually purify the flesh. Those who were defiled in some way through sin or becoming ritually unclean did have burdened consciences because they were separated from the ritual life of the people of God until they could be cleansed. The sacrifices then truly did give them good consciences when they were restored to the people of God and the ritual life. The sacrifice, <clears throat> and if those sacrifices did this, how much greater cleansing, how much greater comfort, how much greater sanctification comes by the blood of Christ. His blood cleanses us not only from ritual uncleanliness, or from participating in the ritual life of God's people, but it cleanses us from sin altogether. How much greater is this? A comparison will help us see. The ashes of a heifer that the author mentions here were used in the purifying of one who had come into contact with bones or, the, or a dead body. After our Lord was crucified, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea two very pious Jewish men of the council helped to take the body of our Lord down, and they helped prepare him for burial, wrapping him in grave clothes and putting him in a grave. In doing this, they became ritually unclean. Jesus had died, and they touched his body. They would have borne that burden for the appointed time until they could receive the purification, being sprinkled with the ashes of a heifer. In being restored, they would have peace. But let us compare them to Peter. On that same day that Joseph and Nicodemus cared for the body of the Lord, putting their lives in danger by going against the council, Peter had denied his Lord three times. Peter had sinned gravely and preferred at that time the approval of men over faithfulness to Christ. And all of this happened after he said that he would never deny his Lord, and even made an oath and curse upon himself in, in saying that. How his conscience must have been burdened when that, rooster wept, when that rooster crowed and he wept bitterly. How much more then was Peter restored before God compared to Joseph and Nicodemus when our Lord reinstated him as his disciple, and told him that he forgave him of all his sins.
how much more was his, clenched, was his conscience cleansed by the blood of Christ? It's like a boulder to a mountain. Yes, brothers and sisters, Christ's blood cleanses us in the greatest of ways. It cleanses our consciences, giving us a good conscience before God, so that we can come to him in prayer with confidence and serve him in willing obedience because of what he has done for us. His blood cleanses us from dead works that we may, in spirit and truth, serve the living God. Dead works which come from spiritual deadness. They are empty, meaningless, false observances, and devoid of faith. They are the sorts of works which God himself condemned when he said to his people in the Old Testament, Your new moons and your appointed feasts, those ones which I instituted, my soul hates. He hated them because they were only done according to the letter of the law, but they denied the spirit. If one serves God only out of fear of punishment, worried about what the consequences will be, or if one's trying to make up and atone for their own sins, if one is merely trying to do this as a performance, thinking they can use it as a cover for evil, those are truly dead works, and they cannot please the living God. Those are not the worshippers God desires. Jesus has paid the debt for all of our sin, and his blood cleanses us. His blood cleanses us also from these dead works. He has secured for us an eternal redemption. He forgives our sins and clothes us with his own righteousness, so that we may serve the living God in joy, that we may serve him confident in his love, so that in his love he sent Christ as our high priest, that he may obtain for us an eternal redemption. Living works that serve the living God are those freely rendered in thanksgiving and praise. We ourselves offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as Paul said, and we are devoted to him and his service through willing obedience and the serving of our neighbors in love. And when we fall into sin, which we will continue to do, as our obedience and fulfilling of the law is not perfect, return to Christ. Plead his blood and seek his forgiveness, which he freely and abundantly offers to those who turn to him in repentant faith. Indeed, he cleanses our consciences from sin, that we might be free from dead works to serve the living God. Thus, Christ, our high priest, is all the greater. He is the fulfillment of the old covenant high priestly office. His atonement, which his atonement was the fulfillment of the day of atonement. His sacrifice fulfilled all sacrifices. As the old high priest represented Israel before the Lord God, so too Christ represents to the Father all of those who have been joined to him through faith, who have become members of his body. He is the true mediator between God and man, for he himself is truly God and truly man in one person. Thanks be to God, who sent his son Jesus Christ as high priest of the good things to come, that through his passion and death he would make atonement for our sins. Thanks be to God, that through faith in this high priest we receive the forgiveness of sins which he has won for us, so that our consciences being cleansed from dead works 
might serve the living God now and in the world to come, where we will receive in full the eternal inheritance through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.